Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Ex Nihilo with Father Martin Wen and Steve Bucklin, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here are your hosts. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another weekly podcast from Ex Nihilo. This is your host, Father Martin. And your co-host, Steve Buckland. Welcome back. Welcome back, and we hope that you've had a wonderful week. We hope you've had a weekend enjoying fine Trappist products. <laughs> if anyone is questioning, that was quite a lively discussion we had in regards to the holy beer. Uh, but today we thought we would give you a chance to uh, really... Uh, take a different tone and get to know your host. You've been listening to to me you know, mumbling and rambling for uh, several months now. Many months. Uh, yes, many months. Because I think we've done like 26, 27 podcasts. I think we're right? actually up over 30. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No yeah. wonder my brain is so fried. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically what happened was as many people um, asked to learn more about Father Martin's vocation story. So we thought we would talk a little bit about his vocation story, mostly because it's far more interesting than my vocation story, most of which is no, not suitable we, to be broadcast on But we did, we did talk but, about uh, your vocation as, as, yeah. a, as oh, a family yeah. man, yep, as, yep. as someone with seven children. And one of whom is sitting right next to me, the pain in my neck, uh, <laughs> but the joy of my life. Oh, we can. What? That's so nice. <laughs> no, Jesus <laughs> is the joy of my life. That but sounded weird. It does, isn't it? The joy my of bad. my I, life. Like I, that, like I said, my brain is fried. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, just a chance for us to get to know me a little bit better. Um, so I am open to any question from so, Steve and WeCat. I think we have to understand that, first of all, like most children, Father Martin was born. Yes. Yes. Right. Although, although my mother said she, she, she picked me up under a banana tree. Did they have banana trees in Vietnam? Oh, yeah. Yes. It's tropical. It's tropical. Steve, really? What do you think? Well, I've never been. <laughs> Don't you know topography? I mean, wow. I just, wow. All the disdain. Bananas. Whoa. Have you seen bizarre bananas- food? With bizarre food or bizarre food? Bizarre, whatever. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> bizarre food? I, I'm, I'm so upset. <laughs> He's just nervous because we're talking about if it. If you've seen well, bizarre foods, you'd have kn- you know that Vietnamese people actually eat bird's nests made out of the bird's spit. That's the Chinese people. No, I watched bizarre foods in Vietnam. Bizarre That's foods. what they were eating. Oh, yeah. right. Well, here you go. People. Did you ever do that? Did you ever yes. eat a, a nest? A would, you like nest? Try, would you like to try it? My mom nest. has some at home. Bird's nest soup? Yes. That's expensive. How'd it's, you get that? It's it's very good for you, too. It is, but it's, ex- um, it's really expensive. Hold on. Where are we? Yeah, never How did you sorry. end up with bird's nest soup? <laughs> well, let's get back. Do you back guys to... have a bird? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Well, I mean. You have to harvest it from this is, So this is interesting. So somehow we went from vocation story to bird, bird nest <laughs> soup. Bird spit as, nest soup. As, yeah. As happens often. Is we got holy? distracted. <laughs> Uh, but if you haven't noticed, I do have an exotic accent. And right, it, it comes because you're from, from Alabama. <laughs> Sweet home. Sweet home, Alabama, where the skies are so blue and we're eating bird nest soup. So you were actually born in I was born, Vietnam, in I North was born Vietnam, South Vietnam. I was born in the South. I was born in Saigon. Really? Uh, Ho Chi which, Minh. Which they don't call Saigon anymore after 1975. It's Ho Chi Minh City. Right. Who is Ho Chi Minh? Uh, quizzing you on your, um, your heritage. Truly, I blocked out most of it, but he's the he's first president of the Socialist Republic of Vietnam. 
Right. Um, but anyway, uh, yes, I was born in Saigon. And basically what happened was after Vietnam, the Republic of Vietnam fell in 1975, the communists took over. And, uh, and it was a very dire condition for a lot of people. The, the, the poverty was incredible. It wasn't a peaceful takeover, I take it. It was not. A lot of people lost everything, their lives. And my, my grandfather fought for the South of the Republic, and he was killed in 69. Wow. Uh, my uncle was sent to uh, a labor camp. Two of my aunts died because of the bomb shelter collapsed. And um, uh, my mom and my dad in the, in the 80s, when they met... Uh, had wanted to leave the country. A lot of Vietnamese fled Vietnam after the fall of Saigon. And in 89, they, they tried to, to leave the country hmm. through the, um, the border of Cambodia. But they got caught. They got caught, and they let my mom go because she was pregnant. Uh, but they arrested my dad. Oh, I didn't know um, So he, I guess they would have kept him for a few days because it happened a lot. A lot of people tried to leave. But he escaped that night. He was worried by my mom. She was mm-hmm. pregnant. She was four months pregnant in the middle of the wilderness. So he escaped. He tried to look for her. And they caught him again, and they shot him. They oh. killed him at the border of Cambodia. Never recovered the body. Uh, never really knew my, my dad's face. We were really poor. I, all I knew is that he was a teacher. He taught literature. Uh, my mom met him in Saigon. And, and the interesting thing is his family wasn't, wasn't Catholic. Uh, my mom was born and raised Catholic, and so when I was born, uh, August 17th, uh, um, my mom had me baptized three weeks later, and uh, my my paternal family found out, and they kicked us out. They disowned oh. me, uh, and so we were living... Well, what faith was your paternal family? I think it's Buddhist. <clears throat> uh, Which that doesn't sound particularly Buddhist, right? <laughs> well, you, you you soon will realize there's a lot of... Con- Buddhists are just like Christians, is that what you're saying? They're yes. good Buddhists, and then they're less good Buddhists. Correct. Right. Not everybody embraces what is called a peaceful path. Peace, right. Uh, and so they, they disowned us, and we lived on the street for about two weeks. My mom, I think, walked all the way back to our hometown, which is... Uh, and how old were you when this happened? Three weeks old. Three weeks? Yeah. Wow. We were living in, in the street. Um, but then we made it back to our hometown, and, and I was raised by my mom and, and my grandmother. We lived in, I lived in a slum uh, in the marketplace for about uh, five years. Wow. It was pretty cool because, like, a lot of my pets were like rats. That Ra- explains why you eat birds' nests. <laughs> <laughs> rats in the marketplace all over the place, and even in our little kiosk apartment, mm-hmm. because it's so small. Downstairs is the shop, and upstairs the bedroom, and so rats would come in and out. Like, well, you mentioned the shop. So, did you guys were you merchants, or did you? My my mother had a little shop. She let's see, she sold tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a butcher for a little while. Well, she didn't. She sell. She she sold meat, and she didn't. She butch- didn't actually butcher it. Nope, she didn't. She just got the, the, the merchandise from other people, um, and then and then we moved in with our grandmother, and then yeah, from there I was raised by this incredible woman who was very faithful, very very faithful. And how did you end up here? 
Um, let's see. Long story, because my grandmother, the support of my life, really died when I was 11 mm. of cancer. And after that period of time, I, I left the church. I, I was quite a teenager. <laughs> I was a nasty teenager. Um, at that point, my family was pretty rich. My mom's business was very successful. She had her own company. I lived in a villa. Took care. I was taken care of by two housekeepers. Wow. Uh, oh yeah. Who knew? Who knew? That Had does rec- explain a few things. Oh, if gosh, this is what I used to do, and I'm I'm not proud to admit it, but like I would I would have them boil water and then wash my feet. Really? As a teenager, isn't that awful? <clears throat> that isn't sounds it? just like you. Oh. So weird. Gosh, I'm so terrible. No wonder he hates nature. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> but uh, but then in 2005, the economy collapsed and my mother lost everything. Wow. Lost everything. And so from the little prince, I returned to being a slum dog. And, you know, it was I was a teenager and I was so embarrassed. I went to a very, very good school, very good high school, well known in the whole country. Uh, not country, but the region, the, the southern re- region. Yeah. And most of my friends are very rich. And I didn't, I, I could not admit that my family had gotten poor. Hmm. I used to be chauffeured uh, to school, and now I had to ride my bicycle. And I started cutting off from my friends because I just didn't fit in anymore. But this whole time, my mother had worked behind the scenes somehow to arrange for me to go to the U.S. to study because she knew that, you know, the, the future is shot uh, if I were to live in Vietnam. So she arranged, and I came home one day from school, junior year, and she said that, you know, get your paperwork together. You're going to have an interview with the American embassy, and you're going to try to get a visa to study. And I said, no. And, <laughs> and she said, yes, and... That took care of it. Yep. I went to get my interview, and it it was really a very slight chance. We didn't have a lot of money. I'm an only child, and uh, there's really no proof that that I would return. Mm -hmm. But somehow, when I talked to this American young lady, uh, the officer from the the embassy, she was very, uh, I guess, impressed. And she just signed off on the visa very easily. I, I was in, I was very surprised that I would pass it. Hmm. Uh, and so two weeks later, uh, I got my visa on May nineteenth, May nineteenth, and then uh, on June fifteenth of uh, two thousand and six, I left Vietnam. Wow, which isn't that long ago. That's only eleven like eleven years. years. Mm. Yeah. I'd never taken a flight in my life, and it was quite a trip. 31 hours of absolute nightmare. You didn't uh, like flying? Well, I, I didn't even know <clears> how to... Did you have a middle seat? I didn't, ha- I didn't even know how to check in my luggage. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I flew Korean Airline, and apparently I it's looked... It's a nice airline. Yeah, that's like one of the best. Yeah, yes. big blue planes, very well catered. Yeah. But then they didn't speak English to me. Well, I didn't speak much English, for, for one thing. Did and you speak Korean? And I looked Korean, so they spoke Korean to me. And, like, man, I was so hungry, I didn't know how to order food. You should have just pointed. 
<laughs> That's true. And then I got stuck. I got stuck in the bathroom. I didn't know how to open the bathroom door. In the, on a plane. Why, none of this surprises me. Like, I, all up until you got on the airplane, I was like, wow, wow, wow. And then you're having all these problems on an airplane, and suddenly, like, all the mystery was gone. I'm like, yep, that's <laughs> Father Martin. <laughs> and then I got lost in Atlanta. Uh-huh. I missed my flight. Yeah. And, uh, yep. This is all adding up now. Yeah. See where the turn happened. And, you know, the, the very first thing I did in America, which is very interesting, because I got in early. And my you host- went to McDonald's, didn't you? My host family didn't expect me, and I, I had to call them, and I had to beg for quarters. Oh, to call? To call. Back in 06, there was still pay Still phone. pay phones, yeah. Yep. And so I called them, and I learned very quickly that my host family had lied to me. They said they were Christians, but when I got to their home, it turned out that they were Muslims. Oh, whoops. Well, they're very close. Some, I guess so. They're both theistic. And remember, this is only five years after 9-11. Right. And so there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of uncertainty. So I'd never told my mom that I was living with a... Um, I think she's going to find out now. Muslim family. No, she found out a year later. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's the story of how I got to America. Wow. And so you were here. So this was the end of your junior year. Yep, and then so I I had to finish my final school year, my senior year. I wanted to check out Bishop Moore, but uh, they weren't sure about my English uh, capacity, so they they said no. When did you finally start speaking English? I mean, Uh, as as well as you speak it now. I spoke some, I mean, and I learned over the years, really. What was Uh, your first English word? Do you remember that? Diarrhea. Nice. That's everybody's favorite word. No, diarrhea, because... On my first day in in the country, my host family gave me a glass of milk. Oh dear! And ooh, was it was You're it lactose intolerant? Was it funny? Well, that was the first time I drank milk, so my my system was not used to it. Oh, now I can take milk, but but <laughs> the first day was quite something. So I had to look it up in the dictionary. That was the first word: diarrhea. <laughs> um, yep. <clears throat> so I ended, nice. I ended up going to Bishop, uh, not Bishop, but uh, Doctor Phillips High School. Nice. And how long did you stay with that host family? Eight months. Wow. Uh, hmm. It got too well, expensive. It's nice of them to keep you. No, it's six hundred and fifty dollars a month. Oh, oh. So you have to pay the host family. They're yeah. not just doing it out of the kindness of their hearts. No, no. they're doing it for the cash. They were doing it for the cash, and remember, I was I was sixteen, I was seventeen years old, and having to pay six fifty dollars a month. That's a lot of money. Now, where did that money come from? Well, I worked, I worked three uh, three job, um, uh, going to school full time, right? Uh, and then on after school, I tutor math, mm-hmm. and I cut grass. How did you tutor math if you couldn't speak English? What were you telling these kids? I don't know, but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I spoke some, and Matthew didn't really have to do much of uh, <laughs> of talking. <laughs> and I cut grass in the neighborhood, and I I work in the back of a uh, Chinese restaurant. Nice, <laughs> doing dishes and grilling chicken. Okay, just enough of six hundred and fifty dollars to pay for my rent. All right. So the now the inquiring minds want to know. So you're you've come to America. You're living the American dream. You're eating cheeseburgers. You're wor- working in a Chinese restaurant. It's what we all dream of. And how did you end up going to seminary? Because you must have gone to seminary right after high school. I did. I sure did. Well, the desire to become a priest sort of came back when... Came back? Yeah. When I was, a, when I was little, 
I'd, I'd love to, sell, to say mass. I love to play mass with my friends. How old was this? Uh, fourth grade. Fourth grade. Fourth grade. Used to do that all the time after school. But as a teenager, as a nasty teenager that I was, it, it wasn't, God wasn't in the picture. Mm-hmm. But when we were poor, when we lost everything, and somehow the question of religion, the question of faith came back, and with that, the desire to become a priest. Hmm. And my mother realized that, you know, if I was to stay in Vietnam, that wasn't going to be fulfilled uh, because of our background. The, the the government would not have let me enter the seminary. Or, and if they did, they would probably never let me be ordained because they still have a lot of control over there. So she said, if, if this is what you want to do, then America would give you a better chance. Ah, so the reason you came to America was so you could go to seminary. Well, she uh, <coughs> she just wanted me to be open up to the the possibilities of everything. Yep. There's a lot of freedom here. Yep. And so, yes, I after high school, I entered seminary, and I entered as a freshman, the youngest in the state of Florida. And there was a there was a long process of maturation for sure. If you ever talk to Father Chris, because he's known me for uh, for a long time, he he would tell you, "Oh my gosh, I was a mess of a well, freshman." Well, he did tell me uh, about watching you learn to drive, and that we, <laughs> we should be grateful we missed those years. <laughs> yeah, one of my priest friend was trying to teach me how to drive, and it 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 fry his transmission. I was, was that good. on an on an automatic? You fried the transmission. Yep. Ugh. Wow, that's hard to do. It's hard to do. You just put it in the D, push the pedal. Some somehow. Wow. Well, <laughs> he that's had, he had that's to get a new transmission. So, so a couple of things, I guess. Um, so when you came over here, um, were you convicted about going to seminary when you arrived, or I I was convict. I was very much interested in becoming a priest, but the question now is diocesan or religious. Mm. Because I've always been very drawn to the Dominicans. Priesthood or Priesthood mm-hmm. 2.0? That's it. I guess so. Because I, I was taught by Dominicans. My patron saint, St. Martin, is a Dominican. Yep. So I was thinking about that. And there are also the, the order of studies and and preaching, which is sort of like my appeal. Mm-hmm. But then, then Do they also, do the tonsure? They used to. They used to. You look anymore. good with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that one. It, you should tell people what a tonsure is. Uh, a tonsure is, uh, I guess, the, a ceremony that that they do when they first, when you first enter seminary life or religious life, where they cut uh, a chunk of your hair right by the crown, and just a sign of you know renunciation of uh, your former life and enter into a new state of life. They don't do that anymore. I. Th- no. Don't think. No. Well, it, some of these orders, uh, like the Fraternity of St. Peter's, they still do. They that. still do the tonsure. Wow. Yep. You, I maintain, you still would look good with the tonsure. Well, thank It'd be you. interesting. And then I also debating the question whether I want to enter the Salesians, the, the um, order of St. Don Bosco, because they're into education, and I love yep. kids. Yep. Uh, but when I visited the seminary with Father Miguel, who was the vocation director then, who was on with us in like one of our yep. first podcasts. And so I felt at home. I felt at home at the seminary, and and I said, uh, I was very much conflicted. The question is, can I do this? Can I do this? Yeah. And and I remember praying to the Blessed Mother, and you know, give me a sign. And on the last day, 
somehow there was an incredible sense of peace and I could never really describe it again. The last day of what? Of the, the, the weekend that I spent at the seminary. Oh, okay. Uh, there was just an incredible sense of peace. And when I was listening to that song, Here I Am, Lord, which is a major cliche. Yep, yep. But somehow when the phrase, I will hold your people in my heart, mm-hmm. it hit me. It mm. hit me. And it's like, okay, this is what meant to do. So I applied. I wow. applied on the way back. On the bus drive back, four hours, I I applied to the seminary. Wow. Did it take all four hours to fill out the application? Mainly because I was struggling with the English. English? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is N-A-M-E? <laughs> That's your name. I could remember <laughs> when I was filling it out and I, and I, I wrote this phrase, the priesthood can be dangerous. And and Father Annis, when he reviewed his my application, he said, you know, maybe not dangerous. Cross that out. Maybe put challenging. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that was that was fun. That was fun. But I think the major struggle wasn't uh, the application process, which is pretty long. Yeah. But it's the months leading up to the seminary. How about the psychiatric evaluations? Oh, Somehow man. you managed to get through those. Oh man, that was long. But you know, he did. He did say that my my intelligence is under average, below average. Really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Who said this? The the psychologist. Oh. And wow. I, what did I, he have you do? Did you take like an IQ exam? I don't know, but that was the, the the observation that he made. And I graduated twice with magna cum laude, so I don't know. <laughs> huh. But anyway, so, yeah, the months leading up to entering the seminary was tough, though, because uh, my mom was sick. My mom had come. When did she finally come over? January 28th of 2007. Wow. Uh, next year. And, uh, and she got sick. She lost her job. And oh, it was a nightmare. And I was the only one who spoke English. Uh, we were really earning about $50 a week to live on. And that was me directing traffic at Holy Family. Uh, our dinner is like three bucks. Yeah. Eat a lot of ramen. Eat yeah, out of that's it. That's and it. Ramen we, noodles. We yeah. walked to Walmart, and that's what we got. Because you can get like ten for like five dollars. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and I was debating whether I should leave my mom or should I stay, and it was it was nightmare. A lot of a lot of crying then. Yeah. Uh, but on August seventh, and I I was determined. Let just God, just let God deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I I left and. <clears throat> My mom was crying behind me, and I didn't want to look back because I knew, like, oh, that's not going to happen. So uh, so I went, and he, she's well taken care of. Yeah, your mom's wonderful. So we see her from – we are blessed to see her from time to time, which is always nice. So. Mm-hmm. so that's amazing. And then you made it somehow through nine years of seminary, or well, rather not, the not seminary with... survived you for nine years. <laughs> yeah, however you want to look at it. There's a lot of ups and downs for sure, and there's a lot of – uh, debate question. What was kind of the most surprised? So, from when you went in, what would if you just take like one thing that surprised you most about your time in seminary that you wouldn't weren't expecting? Uh, I think it's the uh, the process of uh, my my understanding of the priesthood mm. changed gradually. And what about from like graduation to now? So now you got a year and a half basically under your belt as a priest. So when you started as a priest a year and a half ago, you were ordained to now. Mm-hmm. What's been your biggest surprise since? Um, the biggest surprise, I, I suppose. Oh, well, I wouldn't say 
big surprise because we we hear it all the time that you know priest was very busy. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. And you've had an exceptionally busy first year. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you've done four and, years you know, in one. Can't, in yeah. your mind, you know it. You're expecting it. Yeah, but actually experiencing experiencing it yeah. is totally a different story. What about affirmation for you? Like, uh, yes, that has of been, your vocation. That has been a beautiful thing because. Um, because like when you first enter, you got all these under notions yeah. about what the priesthood should be all about, but really the, the people, the people have uh, have taught me to be a good priest. Good. Uh, because I I come to into the priesthood, I was ordained with you know gifts and 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 flaws. There are things that I'm good at, and there are things that I I'm not particularly good at. I'm good with children. I'm yep. good with. Uh, I would agree with that. A lot of um, these priestly duties, but like... Uh, driving, you're not good at. No, driving is not good. <laughs> and surprisingly, like anointing of the sick. Yeah. The major uh, duty of a priest. I've always been very intimidated by it. I guess because I'm always a doer and doer. And in those situations when you stand by the bedside of someone's dying, mm-hmm. there's very little that you could do. Mm-hmm. And it's a ministry of presence... <laughs> And at that point, you you have to realize you are simply a channel, because it's not you who is preparing these people for the moment when they meet God. It, it's God who's doing the healing. Yep. And and for me, it it took a little while to really wrap my mind around that and be comfortable with the fact that I'm not, I don't have really a big role here. I'm here simply to bring Jesus to um to the dying person. And it kind of reminds me a lot about um, what my spiritual director used to say, you know. He always said the priesthood, the priest is like the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem. If it would be so sad if the donkey thinks that all the praises for him. was for him. Yeah. Because he's simply carrying the, the Messiah. And and that's that stuck with me. And so I'm, I'm just doing the best I can every day as a priest. To to be that, uh, to be the donkey, to You're be doing donkey. your best every day to be the donkey, to be the donkey carrying the good Lord into, to His people. That's beautiful. Nice. Well, that's a great way to wrap it up. So that's a very nice. I mean, very in a way, very abbreviated. But it, I think hopefully it provides a better kind of illustration for right. for everybody. Kind of you know, and the path to the priesthood is different for everybody. You know, right? But I think one of the things that I've heard, and I've heard a lot of vocation stories over the years, but one of the things that always strikes me is, is almost everybody has some moment, you know, where that, you know, Father Chris was talking about uh, a few podcasts back about his time when he went, you know, was in college and he had a job and he had a girlfriend and he had this feeling. And then he's, you know, kind of had that moment where it was just like, okay, now I'm over the cliff. Like I had, you know, like, okay, this is, this is, I'm certain that this is what I want or this mm-hmm. is where I'm being called, you know? And, and I think in Father Chris's case, he was like, it wasn't necessarily where I wanted to go, but it was where I knew God wanted me to be um, and to be open to that. Um, in, in a sense, I'm, I'm always very humbled listening to my brother's uh, vocation stories and see the gifts and the talents that they bring to the priesthood because uh, I am a flawed human being. Mm. I have, uh, I am a sinner, and I have my mistakes, and uh, I can be a pain, as you know. Yes, De- we do. Dealing with we me on a, and I know firsthand. On a, <laughs> dealing with me on a regular basis, but God has called me to such an amazing, amazing life, and 
just the interactions that I have weekly with the people of God, uh, no, not perfect in any sense, um, uh, but somehow it's very affirming to know that uh, the beauty of the priesthood and the difference that it makes. Uh, and really, St. John Vianney is very right to say you know, the priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus to humanity. And unfortunately, you know, we are f fragile human beings, in imperfect as we are. But hopefully, as a priest, I'm doing the best I can to have to, to help the people experience the rhythm and the beat of of the heart of Jesus, loving them still and taking care of them still every day spiritually. So, wrapping nice. up our conversation, uh, we hope that you find this conversation this podcast uh, helpful and if you're discerning the priesthood we hope you'll continue to pray about it and if you're not we hope you'll continue to pray you for can always vocations. think that if if father martin can make it i can make it right know. yep he had to come um halfway around the world to get to seminary so. and he had below average intelligence and just, even with his below average intelligence <laughs> and his less than stellar driving skills he's still a wonderful holy man of god uh so we wish you a wonderful week and keep god always in your mind and heart amen god, god, god bless faith fit radio and the diocese of orlando presented Ex Nihilo with Father Martin Wen and Steve Buckland. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.